0: Hi everyone, Um, great to see you. Uh, Our sermon text for tonight or for today is uh, the second half of the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5 verses 6 through 12. And so if you haven't read that yet, go ahead and read it. Um, You can pause and then go ahead and read it. And um, let's go ahead and um, begin. Last week, we talked about the first three of the Beatitudes, um, the first five verses of Matthew 5, and today we're going to do the the, the second half. And I talked about this last week as the first couple are things that the world really perceives as weakness. So I titled that sermon, The Weak. And and actually, as we continue down this list, some more of these things are things the world may consider weakness. Um, But I've titled tonight's sermon, The Strong, because I hope to to see, and we hope to see together that this, in fact, is what makes a strong believer. Um, You know, he starts, Jesus starts this whole sermon with the Beatitudes. And as I mentioned last week, they're not a new version of the Ten Commandments or anything, but um, they're a way to experience God's blessings in this life here and now. And actually, I also didn't mention this last week, but Matthew is presenting Jesus in his gospel is sort of a second Moses in the same way Moses in the Old Testament for the Israelites gave the law from God and and the Ten Commandments as a way to experience God's blessings in the the land God promised them. If they did this, then God would give them this. If they did this, God would give them this. It's what's called actually um, a vassal treaty or like a treaty between a servant and a king. Uh, What Jesus is doing here through the Beatitudes is not necessarily the same thing. What he's doing is saying, hey, Let me just teach you the best way to live. Let me just show you the best way to do this thing. And it wasn't centered around living in the promised land, like Moses and the Israelites, but around the whole world. This is Jesus telling us and teaching us the best way to live here and now in this life. And so the questions we ask ourselves going into this is, how might we see these blessings? How might we experience the blessings of God, uh, the blessings of this life? So I invite you to uh, follow along with me. Uh, We'll pick up in verse 6, Matthew 5, 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this is a great word choice, right? When we are hungry or when we're really thirsty, we know what it is to be filled. (laughs) To be satisfied is another way you can translate this word from the Greek. And we know the exact feeling. I immediately thought of a really hot summer day when you go hiking in the mountains And maybe you just bring one water bottle or you thought there would be fountains along the way, but there wasn't any fountains along the way. And you just got really, really thirsty. And as you come back into a little village or as you head back towards the train station or towards your car, you hear that magical sound, like that trickling of a fountain. And you rush over to it and just drink and drink and drink until you're filled. I I also thought of when I was a kid running around outside in the yard and, and, and you've been running around for who knows how long and you're panting and you're hot and you're tired and you grab the hose and you turn it on and you just drink until you're filled. This is the word Jesus chooses. He says that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says it's the same thing that you desire like water on a hot summer day that if you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, that you indeed will be filled. And then he continues in verse 7 to say that, Blessed also are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this is pretty straightforward. If we read scripture, if you've read scripture, if you're pretty familiar with the story of God in the Bible, mercy is something we see with God over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I think one of my favorite examples is the book of Jonah. At the end of Jonah, Jonah actually gets mad at God for how merciful God is. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord and he says, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah actually gets mad at God. He says, I knew you were going to forgive those people. That's why I didn't want to do this in the first place. And this is straightforward. We, we are to be merciful because God is merciful. We forgive others because God forgives us. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. Remember, this whole thing is about how we can experience the blessings of the kingdom of God in this life now. God sets the standard and his standard is mercy. Let me say it again. God sets the standard. And his standard is mercy. And, and this is actually something that I've been very encouraged about with this world. Uh, oftentimes we look at the news and it can be sort of depressing. It can be sort of sad. Um, and, and these days are no different. But we're starting to see really cool stories popping up about people being gracious and loving and merciful to one another, doing things that don't really make sense. And I've been actually really encouraged by seeing some of these stories. I think people are doing a great job displaying God's mercy, Christian and unchristian alike. Um, It's a really neat thing. It's amazing how we can step up and do these things in the midst of crisis or in the midst of struggle. uh, And how beneficial it can be, right? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about with experiences you've had. Jesus then continues as we go forward in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this also is kind of like the merciful. It's not too complicated. (laughs) It's not too complicated. If we want to see God, we need to look for God. Let me explain what I mean. Some people sometimes say to me, Sam, it's so hard to see God. It's so hard to see God in this situation. Um, Listen, if you want to see God, you can see God. But, But when you put something in front of God, it's hard to see God. It obstructs your view of God. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're putting work or something else in front of God, of course it's going to be difficult to see God. It's distracting you. It's obstructing your view from God. It's simple. And if you tie this back into what we were just talking about, hungering and thirsting for righteousness or hungering and thirsting for God, if we are hungering and thirsting for other gods, we won't see God. It's simple. It can be idols. It can be sin, it can be poor choices, it can be whatever. But if we're putting things in front of God, we won't see God. Think of driving. As we drive, we know we have to be focused on safety. We know we have to be looking around, checking the mirrors, hands on the steering wheel, (laughs) etc. Say safety is my top priority. And then the cell phone goes off and you just have to check it real quick. I never saw the curb. That's because you weren't looking. Oh, I never saw the other car. That's because you were looking at your cell phone. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're not seeing God, maybe you're distracted. If you're not seeing God, maybe you've put other things in front of God. To be pure in heart is to focus on God, is to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And when we do that, God says we will see him. Jesus then continues, verse nine, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God." And this is one I think far too many Christians conveniently forget, um, or maybe they just choose to ignore it. Kind of like the command uh, from Jesus to fast, right? Jesus says in, in the Gospels, "When you fast, do it this way," um, and we just choose to ignore that because we don't like fasting. We like food too much. I love food. Um, I get it. Um, but this is something we can't ignore. What what does peacemaking mean? Well, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. And I think the longer I'm here at IPC, you will hear it from me more and more and more. As Christians, if you look at the world today, if you look at the rhetoric used in the world today, if you look at the waves of nationalism going across the world today, everyone has an us versus them mentality. In politics, in religion, maybe it's just you and your neighbors. Maybe you get in fights with your neighbors and it's us versus them. Whose side are you on? That is not what a Christian is. That is not what being a peacemaker is. Christians, we cannot have enemies. We cannot have enemies in politics or religion. We can disagree with each other, but they are not enemies of ours. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, this term peacemaker that Jesus used can be related to the Old Testament term in Hebrew, shalom which many people talk about as being peace, but it means so much more than that, doesn't it? What shalom means in the Old Testament is similar to what peacemaker means here. It's, It's talking about not just bringing peace, but bringing reconciliation for things to be brought back to the garden, for things to be brought back how God intended them to be. So a peacemaker is one who actually seeks reconciliation in God's name. Someone who makes something that was once broken whole. So if we're to be peacemakers, how then can we have enemies? And you say, well, okay, Sam, this is really tough. People think I'm their enemy. (laughs) And this is why we choose to ignore it. But even if you look back, look back at just what he said just beforehand, blessed are the pure in heart. If we have enemies, if we see other people as enemies, this will keep us from seeing God. And on top of all of that, you may say, Sam, what about those who persecute me, right? Aren't they my enemies? What about those who, who would have us Christians be, be, be dead or, you know, maybe just, just quieted or maybe just you're not allowed to share your faith or just something like that? What about those people who see Christians as enemies? Funny you should ask, because as we keep reading, what does Jesus say next? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <laughs> Wait, if I'm persecuted, that's a way to experience blessings? Yes. And, 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 and I'm supposed to rejoice in those things? Yes. See, church, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. We look at this list and it's not just, I'll take this one and I'll take this one. It's all of them. And when we take all of them, we understand that it is God who is filling us. And that if the world attacks us, that that cannot take the things that God is giving us. When we seek peace and reconciliation and seek to be pure in heart and seek to be merciful, these are things that are eternal these are things that are of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And this is what it means to be a strong Christian, to be a strong believer, to be a man or a woman of God, is to be these things. And just as Jesus says here, because, verse 12, great is our reward. It may not be in this life, but it will surely be in the life to come. And, and, and so, you know, what's funny about this is honestly... I really wanted to come up with a really cool application point for this. I really wanted to come up with something that maybe you've never heard before. Because if you're a Christian and have been a Christian for a while, you've heard these taught before. If you're a newer Christian, you you will hear these taught many, many more times. And and how can I, I was thinking about this, how could I as a pastor come up with some, some grand new plan, some great new way of explaining, some new thing no one had ever seen before? And because... The reality is I'm looking at this list and any of these could be studied at great length. We could spend week after week just one at a time and go really, really deep into all of these. But the more I thought about this, the more I prayed about this, I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep this simple. I'm going to keep this simple and teach it exactly how God is teaching me through it. Because sometimes we can overcomplicate things. And I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. So I just want to mention a couple of things about this. When you think about the Beatitudes, you think, so what? What does this mean for my life? Let me share with you what I think it means for my life. First of all, this, Jesus was absolutely crazy. Okay, let's just get that out of the way. Jesus was sort of a crazy person. In the first few lines of his sermon, he tells people that if they follow him, they will be persecuted. This is not a way to to make a a new church. This is not a way to get a ton of new followers, right? This is not a way to, to attract huge crowds. And yet he did. Scripture tells us that he attracted crowds wherever he went. See, Jesus was not interested in making people feel good. He knew the best way to live, and he was interested in bringing redemption to the world. I mean, think about that. He wasn't trying to make a palatable gospel that people would come and flock to because it was easy. He was teaching reconciliation and redemption to bring this world back from the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. And people flocked to him. Is that what you're seeking? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Stop and think. Think. Look at verse 6. Are you hungering for God's righteousness? Or have you forgotten what that looks like? Have you placed other things in front of God and His righteousness? What are you hungry for instead? What are you thirsty for instead? Success at work? Better relationships? Could be good things. Could be want to be better at work. You could want to be better in your relationships. You could, you could do and focus on a lot of things. But Jesus says here that unless we're hungry and thirsty for his righteousness, we're going to miss the mark. Be honest with yourself. Is God's righteousness your number one priority? And the reason I ask this question is because I know you feel dissatisfied sometimes. I know there are times in life where you just don't feel the satisfaction you hoped. I know you feel like sometimes you're missing something. I know you wonder if there's more out there, if there's more to life, if there's a better way to do this. And I know sometimes you feel empty and not filled. Because I do too. We all do at times. Church, I'll be honest with you. There are times when I struggle with just being content. (laughs) With just on a normal Thursday afternoon, like today, when I'm making this video, what does it mean to be content? Wouldn't it be amazing? Like, I'm not trying to be the world's greatest anything. I'm not trying to have these big, grand dreams. And I'm not knocking that. Dreams are good. I'm not. I just want to be content. (laughs) Like, what would it be like for me to be content? In all circumstances. I was reading scripture and, and, you know, the Apostle Paul figured this out. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, Paul said, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to say that? I know what it is to be content in all circumstances. Church, God wants us to have that. Christ wants us to have that. Christ is teaching us here in the Beatitudes how we might see that in this life. Jesus not only lived it and taught it, but it's right here. So what are you seeking? What are you filling yourself with? Because this list seems to me to be a pretty good answer to that question. What we ought to fill ourselves with, what we should desire to have more of in our life, the way we might find contentment in this life. And I love the word again, verse six, for they will be filled. It's the same word that uh, is used in Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, when they feed the 5,000 with the miraculous bread and the fish. It says that everyone there, was filled or that everyone there was satisfied. You know that feeling when you're hungry and thirsty and you have all you need. We've all been there. One of my favorites is probably a summer barbecue where there's just tons of food and and you just sort of keep eating, and you keep eating, and it's so good, and there's burgers, and there's bratwurst, and, and, and you just know, even though there's more food, you just can't have any more because you are so full, and life is so good, and you're just happy, and you're content. Imagine if we could have that same feeling spiritually all the time. This is what Christ is saying with the Beatitudes. You want to be blessed. You want to be full Pursue these things above all else. This is what God has for us. And we saw this in our epistle reading. Um, And from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants us to have all we need. The kingdom of heaven is ours. (laughs) If you look at that. Look at verses 3 and verse 9, or verse 10, excuse me, verse 3 and verse 10. Everything else in the middle, 4 through 9, are, are, are future. They will be, they will be, they will be. Verse 3 and verse 10, it starts and he finishes with saying, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, present tense. We can have these things now. Isn't that an amazing promise? It's not complicated but somehow some way we still don't do it. And listen, no one can know your thoughts. No one can know your issue. No one can know what it is you put in front of God. So be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and think, what is that thing I need to move? So that I might see God. What is that thing I need to stop hungering and thirsting for? And I need to start hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God that he is offering me here and now that I would be content in this life and not have to go to sleep wondering what contentment feels like anymore. Because Christ offers us that. And so my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that we can see the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can learn from them, that we can focus on, On him and him alone. That we would hunger and thirst for his righteousness. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for um, this church and and, and what's happening in in, in our life and ministry. And I just want to encourage you today. um, If there is something that you feel like. You need to share. You need to get off your chest. You need to talk to someone about. Find someone to talk to these things about too. Find a friend. Talk to Andy or myself. Um, reach out to someone. Because the other great thing about the Beatitudes, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is this is not meant to be done alone. If you feel like this list, this, these Beatitudes are just too much or too big or too difficult, let's talk. Just remember... God wants us to have this. And even though we all struggle and even though we all wonder, God wants us to have this. God wants you to be full and to be content. Go in peace, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon.